0: Last of the Moon podcast. I'm Bryce McCracken. This is something that we have not done before. I am by myself today. I feel so compelled to make this additional episode to talk about is Afraid. I cannot stop thinking about this movie. I love it so much. And there's so much to unpack here that I, I don't feel we did justice in our, our standard episode on this movie. And so I just want to take this opportunity to kind of work through all of the things that I have figured out. I've seen this movie twice now. I watched it again after we recorded that episode and I feel like I have a much deeper understanding about what this movie is and what it's trying to tell me. And I really don't feel like our episode did it justice. We didn't really have many answers. We saw we we recorded that episode right after We saw the movie, and we're all just kind of, frankly, in a state of shock. We were also all very tired, so we weren't quite fully together, and so I feel like I really understand the movie now, and I'd like to kind of get everything off my chest that I didn't have the opportunity to, or the understanding to, frankly, at that time right now. Uh... So if if you have seen this movie, you likely have a lot of questions, especially if you've only seen it once, and you're not a genius like myself. That's a joke. I, I hope that I can maybe answer some of your questions, and I mean, I, I'm certainly biased. I, I got in an, a small argument with Wyatt after our podcast was recorded, because he does not I mean he he claims he likes this movie but he was very harsh on it and I I genuinely think this movie is incredible and I've heard his I've heard his argument a few times now and I I I I kid it is a valid argument where he is of the opinion and I've heard some other people of the opinion that this is an entertaining movie but it asks too much of the audience and Maybe I'm making a mistake by, by bringing up Wyatt's argument here when he's not here to defend himself or make the argument himself. So I apologize, Wyatt, if I'm not doing your argument justice. But my response to that is, and I kind of briefly explain this in the moment, but I love the experience of this movie. It is so entertaining. And so the bits and pieces that I did not understand immediately were so entertaining to me and still left me feeling in such a unique way that I was still willing and able to make the argument and the claim that it was a good, well-done movie, even though I did not fully understand everything that Ari Aster was trying to tell the audience. And Wyatt's argument, which was a good one, was it's silly to give an artist the benefit of the doubt that he's doing something creative when you can't Put into words what that actually is, and so that's another reason why I'm here. Like I feel like I'm much better able to verbalize and comprehend the things that initially I was just giving Ari Aster credit for without actually being able to like verbalize what it was that he was doing. So that's why I'm here. is it's a long winded way of saying that's why I'm here. I get this movie now in a much better way, uh, and I want to share that with you. So. What is this movie all about? I'm going to give you like a thousand foot overview and then kind of walk through the bits and pieces of this movie in an effort to kind of help you understand. So if you look at this movie as an exploration of two characters' anxieties, I think it it really allows you to understand this movie better. A lot of people understand that this is showing anxiety, specifically Bo's anxiety. The movie is told from the perspective of Bo. It uses his anxiety as a lens, which with to see the world. But I I genuinely feel that this movie is as much about Bo's mother's anxiety as it is about Bo's anxiety. It's about Bo's anxiety and how the cause of Bo's anxiety was his mother's anxiety. It's like this cyclical thing. It's about how Mona, his mother, about how her fears and her anxieties impact the world around her. If you look at this movie through that lens, I really think it starts to make a lot more sense. A lot of the really metaphorical or confusing things really start to click into, into place. So I've got, I've got some answers for you. So, nearly every single thing in Bo's life, and more specifically, almost every single thing in this movie that we're seeing Bo go through, has been orchestrated by Mona. Mona, her only thing in the entire world that she cares about is her son, and she feels she needs him to reciprocate that adoration. That she has for him. And those things that he's expressing in his therapy. Are completely valid. That he does care for her. But when he doesn't reciprocate that love. In the way that she feels he needs to. She gets upset. And that's like a very real thing. That a lot of people struggle with. Like a lot of human relationships. Both people within that relationship love and care for each other very much, but they don't always share that love in the way that their partner or the other person in the relationship feels like they need that love. And so, like, Ari Aster's putting that on display here. Um, So, like I said, everything in Bo's life has been organized by Mona. And this movie sort of tells the, the, the tipping point of that, where I believe this has been going on for much longer but the events of this movie are when Mona now feels like she has failed to raise the son that she wants and so she decides to give him a test and that test is like will bo get here i don't know if if mona had the intentions of giving him this test before his keys were stolen and before he said that he couldn't make it. I almost tend to believe this was just a a routine trip to go visit her. And she sees his failure to make this trip, uh, even though it was completely out of his control as like, all right, I'm done from her perception, giving my all to my son who is not making an effort to love me back. And so she creates this test. Um, And I'll, I'll talk more about that in a second. but whether whether the actions of this movie play out in the way that she expects them to i I really truly believe that they are what she wanted to happen. For example, we see Grace, so that's the woman that plays Holly Flax from the office, and Jeeves at the very beginning of the movie, they're actually in this shitty neighborhood handing out uh, I believe food. It's like almost feels like Mona has employees, her, or people working for her that are on the lookout for Bo and for what she will deem as failures on Bo's part. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in a bit. But this whole opening scene kind of asked uh, my My initial impression was Bo is not living in the same world that I am. I don't think that that is necessarily true anymore. I think we live in a messed up world and Bo is viewing that messed up world through an already messed up lens. He is deeply mentally ill. He has severe anxiety and agoraphobia and that will already taint the way that you process and experience the world But also, he is on like experimental medication that was prescribed to him by a disingenuous doctor that we later find out is on his mother's payroll. So I'm I'm inclined to believe that the really like hellscapish landscape that Bo lives in and we experience in this first of four acts in this movie are not actually as miserable as what we experience I, th- I think we are experiencing what it's like to be in bo's shoes in that moment uh, an example of that would be like when bo runs up to the police officer and the police o- he, bo is clearly not a threat he's got his hands raised and he's begging for help and the police officer is like don't make me do it man don't make me do it man and he's bo feels like he's about to get shot in this moment i i feel like that is exemplative of Bo's fears of interacting with this police officer where this guy has a gun what if what if he perceived me as a threat and decided to shoot me maybe the police officer is not actually even behaving in the way that we see in this movie but we're seeing this through the lens of Bo's anxiety and so he panics and I I feel like that is a good way to look at this entire first act and frankly the rest of the movie. I am still left with one question that I don't really understand from this opening scene: the guy hiding over Bo's bathtub. Uh, I, I don't really get what he's doing there or why he's there. It's possible he's not even real, but I don't I don't really know who that guy is or why he's there. But he does ultimately lead to Bo running outside and then getting hit by a car, uh, and that's how we get to what I believe was Wyatt's favorite. Part of the movie, and what is certainly the funniest, like act of the four acts in this movie, um, and that's when Bo is being nursed back to health by Grace and Roger, and this scene is hilarious, or rather, these scenes are hilarious. But I, there's so much happening here that I picked up on second watch that tells a lot about like what this story is. So, my first big takeaway here is both Grace and Roger, the parents here are mona's employees i believe that they are good people even though they are manipulating Bo in this instance especially grace i feel like grace is a very very empathetic caring person uh, but they are tasked with because they work for mona at least in my idea of the situation with not just caring for Bo, but testing Bo. and the seminal scene here is when roger gets a call, and something comes up, and he's like, I have to do this emergency surgery. And he asks Bo if they can leave tomorrow. And he gives Bo the choice. Like, we can leave today, but it's up to you. And Bo feels uncomfortable, like anyone would in this scenario. Like, I, I can't interfere with, A, your job. That's already a lot. But your job is surgery. You have to save someone's life. I don't want to overstep my bounds and inconvenience you. And so Bo says no, like most people would. I believe Roger says here, like, you always have a choice. And so Mona is watching this because she has Bo on camera at all times, essentially. And this is the most important moment in the movie, almost, because this is the test, air quotes on test, where Bo is given the choice. You can go back with me right now. I will take you to your mother. We will get you to your mother. And he says no. And while he's doing something that is completely valid, and I feel like most people would do in this scenario, that's not what matters. What matters is how Mona perceives that. And Mona perceives that act in that instance as, here is my son's opportunity to come mourn me. And he declines it. He doesn't care about me. And of course that's not true, but truth isn't necessarily what matters here. What matters here is how anxiety and how mental illness is shaping how Mona interacts with the world. So in this moment, uh, Grace writes down on a piece of paper, don't implicate yourself, and gives that to Beau. And I think that Grace, I mean, she certainly knows what's going on, whether or not she also works for Mona is maybe up for debate, but like she's doing this because she is an empathetic, caring person. And more specifically, she now is perceiving Bo as this surrogate son who's filling in or filling the void of the son that she has lost and that she cares so deeply for. And so, even though she's doing her job and keeping Bo here and testing him like she's supposed to. I think she truly feels bad that Bo is being put into this situation, and she understands Bo is being tested by his mother. And so she she tells him, don't implicate yourself. Every time you question your mother, every time you don't dutifully adore your mother, that is a failure. That is an implication that will later be used in, essentially, in court, (laughs) because that's the last scene of this movie. The reason why I feel like both Grace and Roger work for Mona is because so Roger claims he is a surgeon. I don't think I buy that. He at one point Bo tears open his stab wound and Roger is like, Eh, you're probably fine. Just hold off the jumping jacks and that's really funny, but like I don't see a world where a real surgeon is ever going to hesitate to be like, Oh, shit, you're Stitches tour. Let's fix that. Um, he and his wife Grace both claim to work different jobs. He claims to be a surgeon and she appears to be some type of like corporate woman. Uh, they leave at different times like they're going somewhere else but then randomly at the end of this day after Bo gets high and he's sitting on the couch they return at the exact same time like they're coming from the same place and so that's, that's maybe why I feel like they actually both work for Mona. Um, I also feel the daughter knows what's going on, but she's not really in on it. I actually feel like she's a really good representation of sort of like just another example of what failed parenting can look like. Like her mother obviously cares for her very much. So does her father, but her mother needs to move on and care for the daughter that she still has, but she's so obsessed with her lost son that the daughter, what is her name? Tony, that Tony feels like she is not loved by her parents. And so she is just constantly getting high. There's a hilarious shot that I don't think we mentioned uh, in our original episode where it's the first time we see her sleeping on the couch and Bo just feels bad and is apologizing and is like, hey, we can switch. I don't want to put you out. Where (laughs) Tori is literally snacking on pills like they're popcorn. And it's just ridiculous. Like this poor girl is really fucked up and just feels the need to get high constantly to cover up her own pain um but she mentions like you already failed your test just get fucked up with me so it's like she definitely knows what's going on I I don't think she cares as much I think she's kind of just a selfish person that hates Bo for sort of filling in the role that her brother already had been doing it's like she is desperate to fill the void that her brother has left in terms of like her mom loving her and now her mom is loving someone else instead of her so like naturally she would hate Bo in that moment so I, I, I feel like it doesn't matter whether when she drinks the paint and dies whether that was an intentional act of suicide or not I mean every single thing she's doing for the most part is just risky behavior like she's driving under the influence she is popping pills like they're candy she's drinking paint it doesn't really matter she could die from any of those things she doesn't really care it's like either this is going to fuck her up and take some pain away or she's going to die and the pain will go away so it's very very sad and it's it's all wrapped up in this sort of comedic exterior this comedic shell but yeah this (laughs) this is very very sad I I heard some people questioning, like, why does Grace turn on Bo? Like, it seemed like she cared for him. She turns on him because she does still care about her daughter. And now she walks in and perceives Bo to have, I mean, she claims, I see you now for what you are, this demon that has taken the place of my son. She thinks that in this moment, Bo has, A, defiled her sacred son's room and also killed her daughter. And, like, that's her admitting, like, I thought you were taking the role of my son, but you're actually evil. And, of course, Bo is not evil, but that's how she perceives him in this moment. So she, she has Jeeves try to kill him, and he runs away, and we get to the third act. This, this forest scene, this third act, is where I think the movie loses a lot of people because it's so, so metaphorical. Uh, I timed it this time. The animated sequence here takes, I think, 17 minutes which is a really long time in an already long movie. And I didn't really understand it, but now I feel like I do. So I'm pretty confident Bo was meant to end up here at this play. Roger mentions, hey, you can't go home yet until you've seen the show. And Bo also interacts with someone who claims to be his father's caretaker at this play. And we can actually see that guy in the background, like in the tree line of a couple shots when they're at Roger and Grace's house almost like this guy is watching over Roger and Grace to make sure that they're doing their job appropriately and are working to get Bo to this show so if that's the case if Bo was meant to be here uh, of course it's an accident that Bo showed up there because he just kind of ends up there I think that some evidence of that is the guy that's watching over them seems like shocked that Bo is there <laughs> like like hey you should be here but how are you here you, he would know in that moment that Bo had escaped, and so would then be shocked at the fact that Bo is still where he's supposed to be. So I, I think that my take here, that the drum, the big whirring drum, was like a hallucin- hallucinogenic tool, was actually right. We see the pregnant woman give Bo some something to drink, uh, and I believe that that is like a hallucinogenic thing that maybe works in tandem with the drum. This is all very like woo-woo, but Uh, I think that that is what's going on here. The whole movie is kind of woo-woo, so it's just, you got to take my word for it. Um, But this play, more specifically, putting Bo in this play, like he has this hallucinogenic trip, and he doesn't just see this story unfolding, he literally experiences a lifetime of story unfolding. And more specifically, He has this lived experience in which he is a father, something that he would not even be able to perceive because he thinks that he can't have sex. Uh, So in which he is a father and he loses his children. It's like, if if I'm correct that Mona orchestrated this whole play and wants Bo to see it and to experience this, Mona is trying to make him understand what it's like to feel separated from your child and the extent that a parent will go to get them back, like in this in this play, Bo travels the world for for thirty years trying to find his son, and it's just exemplifying like the length that a parent will go to, and it's just adding to Bo's guilt in this moment. So after the show, I think that the creepy man that claims that Bo's father is alive is actually telling the truth. Bo seems to think that that actually is his father. I don't think that that's true. I think that his father is the penis monster in the attic, and I'll talk more about that in a second. But So Mona's lying about everything. Bone knew that as a child. It shows him, we get some flashbacks of him questioning it, and he knows it now. He asks her for the truth at the end of the movie, and she basically admits it. She's like, do you want to know why I lied? It's to protect you from that in reference to the penis monster. And again, I'll talk more about that. But Bo hitchhikes to the funeral after this scene. He ends up there. And uh, he walks in and you can hear sort of what he missed at the funeral. Really important song here is playing that I have a theory about. So that song, it's like, You could have everything I own. Uh, That is Everything I Own by Bread. It's a beautiful song, but... It's it's so important in this scene because that song is all about a child talking about the experience of watching your parents grow old and die and the loss that you feel in that scenario. So the the guy orchestrating the funeral mentions like, we're going to play this song. It was her favorite song, which is hilarious because it's like so self-indulgent. Like, why would this mother choose this song about... <laughs> written from the perspective of a child that's lost their mother. Why would that be your favorite song? It's, it's literally so self-indulgent. Like, it makes her feel special that this is the role that a mother can have. But it's also important because playing this in this moment makes Bo feel guilty for not feeling that way about his mother. So, like, everything at the beginning of this movie is leading up to Bo being tested. And then when he fails... Everything after that is an act from his mother to make him feel guilty, to understand the pain that Bo is putting her through, to understand why she feels this way. Um, And, of course, her view is tainted. It's impossible to understand that, but I I believe that that's what's going on here. Uh, Like, Mona makes it so clear that the only thing on the entire planet that matters to her is her child. Like, she literally has a statue, this giant gorgeous statue, in her yard of a mother nursing her child. Like, this woman has an empire. She has so many people that work for her. She had other family, but the only thing that matters to her is that relationship between mother and son. Uh, this scene, also worth noting, I didn't get to mention this in our original episode, is home to my favorite shot that I've seen in a very long time, <laughs> where Bo is just sort of sitting contemplatively on the balcony ledge outside, or rather inside the house. It's a gorgeous shot. I want it, I want it as a painting in my room. Uh, but it was also kind of how I felt <laughs> in this moment, just like trying to figure out what's going on, just so deep in thought, kind of feeling all of the feelings that the movie wants me to feel at this moment. And, like, that is also the moment that Bo is realizing that he knows his mother is not actually dead. And so he's confused. Uh, but he goes to sleep, and Elaine shows up. And I want to talk, take a second to talk about Elaine. I don't fully understand everything about her character, but she represents something that Mona fears very much. On one hand, Mona cares so deeply for Beau and wants him to be happy. And we see that when Elaine and Beau meet, when they're children. Like she's she's half encouraging him to talk to her because he wants, she wants him to be happy. But on the other hand, Elaine represents a threat. And it's a threat not only because Elaine could take Beau as just another person that is important in Beau's life, but she's especially a threat. Because she is so headstrong. Like she could teach Bo how to stand up for himself. And that idea is literally terrifying to Mona. And like we see her talk about how headstrong she is. And there's like this level of admiration that she has in those line deliveries. Where it's like she's impressed by that. But also terrified by that. Because of what it could mean for her and Bo's relationship. I don't really understand why Elaine shows up here. I mean, she was one of the people that was being interviewed on the news. And Mona also seems to genuinely not know that she works for her. I mean, of course, Mona could be lying. She's lying most most of this movie. But I, I feel like she's not in that moment. So I don't really know what Elaine's doing here. If you have any answers, feel free to, to reach out and tell me. Because I don't really know. I'm also trying to figure out why Elaine dies. Because I do not believe that Mona is telling the truth about the generational orgasm death curse that she claims Bo has. I do believe that that is actually Bo's father up there, and again I'll get to that in a second, but I believe Mona has lied to Bo about this story to make Bo feel like he cannot have sex, to make Bo feel like he is unable to connect with anyone, because that makes Bo need his mother if he cannot connect with any other woman he needs his mother and so it makes sense that Mona who's extremely manipulative would lie to him about that so if that's the case like I believe it is I don't really understand why Elaine dies when she finishes Uh, again if you have any answers for that please Um, but it's all like this everything from this point on is so metaphorical it's really hard to know like what is real and what is Metaphorical, maybe Mona kills her here. I don't really know, so the attic scene this is this is another scene that I really did not understand at all, and I really feel like I get now. Um, it's also a scene that is very confusing and very alarming for a lot of people, and I think turned a lot of people off of this movie because it's just so ridiculous. But we get this dream that Bo has throughout the movie of himself being put up in this attic and when Bo is about to go up in the attic at the end of this movie, he's like, this is just like my dream. And Mona says, this isn't a dream, you idiot. This is a memory. So we see what looks like Bo up there, but starved. That is, and this is, I guess, just my opinion, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. That is a twin. So you kind of get that implied during Bo's birth At the beginning of the movie, but I think Bo has a twin. And this twin is much more headstrong than Bo. All Mona wants is to have a dutiful, loving son that loves her in the same way that she loves him. And this son questions that. He's much more sort of cognitive in that way, where we see this twin brother and we see Bo watching from the bathtub questioning it, saying, "I want Daddy. Where is Daddy?" And she claims he knows that he is dead, but he seems to know, know that something else is up. And she's like, "Fine, you want to see Daddy?" And she shuts him in the attic and chooses to never talk about him again, in the same way that she chooses to never talk about their father. And Bo naturally would have completely repressed that memory, and it's coming out as a dream, because it's so traumatizing. Um, the idea that you had a brother, that your mother, who you think loves you, could possibly do something so abusive as to lock your twin brother up in an attic and pretend that he doesn't exist anymore. Like, that's insane. And so that is that memory is coming out through repression as this bits and pieces of a dream. So he goes up there and he sees his twin brother, who... So sad, (laughs) literally just needs food, like he holds out a food bowl because that's his only, it's the only human experience or interaction that he's used to at this point, is someone going up to feed him and then leaving. Uh, And then, of course, we see the penis monster, who is A, a penis, and B, a monster. And Mona claims that it is Bo's father, which is just ridiculous. But I now have a take on that. So, I've emphasized many times here the only person on the entire planet, the only thing on the entire planet that matters to Mona is Bo. If that is the case, I would ask you who then, if Bo is the only person that matters to Mona, who then would Bo's father be? And my answer to that would be all Bo's father is. To Mona is an object of conception aka a penis in other words Mona did not care for this man at all in fact I think she was actually deeply traumatized by that relationship and so in her perception all that Bo's father is was a penis or was an act of her getting pregnant to then have Bo, who is the only thing that matters to her. And because she is so deeply traumatized by that relationship, he's not just a penis, but he is a monstrous penis, uh, which, again, is absolutely ridiculous. I know that, but it's also funny. And there there's, like, levels to it. It's very sad, like, that she would perceive the father of her child in this horrific way is, like, very troubling to me. So yeah, that's that's my take on the penis monster, that Bo's father in Mona's perception, which is how we are seeing him, is just an, a monstrous object of conception, aka penis monster. I don't fully understand this scene. I don't really understand why Jeeves shows back up and starts stabbing the penis monster because he should be dead at this point. Um, but again, all this is so metaphorical. Who knows? If you have an answer, please feel free to share. But nearing the end of the movie, Bo chokes and kills his mother. I think that that's real. I think that he really does do that. I feel like that would be a natural progression and end to this story. And him sailing off into the night, on second watch I, I kind of felt like, is he dead right now? Like this feels like a metaphorical like sailing into the abyss, sailing into death. Almost like maybe he, he killed her and then took his own life. I don't really know. Maybe I'll arrive at an answer there, but Then we reach the trial, and this scene is not nearly as confusing as I thought it was. Like, it is literally an explanation of everything that I've been saying up until this point, about how Mona needs her son to worship her at every step, and how she's created this world for him to live in, in which he has to do that, or he has failed. Like, here we learn that she has been watching him at every step. Here we learn that Every single thing in his life has been orchestrated for this purpose. And here we learn, even though she's dead at this point, that this is all she's ever cared about. She feels that she has failed to create a son that loves her in the way that she feels that she needs to be loved. Um, It almost reminds me of this sort of paradox that, um, that the argument for a divine creator creates um in that if there is a god why would he create a world with beings that have the free will to not worship him why would this god not create every single thing to worship him and like mona has nearly a a divine level of power operating within this world because she owns what is essentially like a Walmart type corporation. like she has infinite money, infinite power, infinite resources and she has created this world. It's like she feels like if she she's trying to force Bo to love her, but she feels she needs him to choose himself to love her in the way that of course she feels she deserves to be loved because forced love from her perspe- perception, would not be real love in the same way that like, if God created the earth with beings that were forced to worship that God, then the act of worship then becomes null and void. Like it doesn't really matter at that point because they have no choice. And she—that's how she feels about Bo. This scene really, really made me sad. Frankly, on second watch, I was so confused the first time. On second watch, I was able to kind of just like feel. What Ari Aster wants me to feel and what Joaquin Phoenix's incredible performance is, is showing me here. As Bo's feet are getting stuck to the bottom of this boat right before it sinks. And he realizes, I think this is it for me. He is just desperately calling out to the people in this coliseum. Looking each of them in the eyes and saying, please, help me, help me. And they just stare back at him. And the look of betrayal on Joaquin Phoenix on Bo's face here hurt me so bad because there's so much depth to that where when someone is going through and experiencing intense anxiety in the way that Bo is, or frankly, any, any problem, the outside world has no way to perceive how that person in that moment is feeling. All that the outside world, all that these people in the Colosseum are able to perceive is what they are being shown. It's the actions of that individual. And so often in a situation like this, say you have a friend who's partnered with someone that has anxiety. If I have a friend that is in that scenario... My only perception of the person with anxiety is filtered through the lens of my friend. I don't know if that makes sense, but like the only way that I am then experiencing that anxiety is through the lens of someone else and through that person's actions and how those actions are then perceived. And so, like in this moment, Bo is crying out for help. He's so desperate for help. But all that these people are able to see. Is how the world and how, yeah, exactly, how the world has been forced to perceive Bo by Mona, by the people in power here. And it's so sad and, like, metaphorical. And it's like this, somebody asked me, why does this movie affect you so greatly? Because you don't really struggle that severely with anxiety. Of course I get anxious sometimes, but like I don't have real anxiety in the way that some people do. And Brett mentioned on our our episode how different his perception of this movie was from his partner Colleen's because Colleen suffers from anxiety and Brett does not. So I'm kind of, I was left asking like why does this movie sit so strongly with me? Who does not really experience severe anxiety. And it's that scene. And it's the next couple seconds. Where after Bo dies. The lights turn on in the theater. In real life. And the people in the amphitheater in the movie. Start to file out. They've witnessed Bo being judged. They haven't made a a choice. They've just moved on. They don't care. They turn their back on Bo. It's almost like they're metaphorically saying, this is not our problem. We didn't experience the pain that Bo here is feeling. So who cares? They leave. And I think that is why I'm so deeply affected by this movie. Because as someone who doesn't struggle with some of the things that this movie shows, I feel guilty. Because I have people in my life that are so greatly affected by... Anxiety, by depression, by these things, that when I do not take the time to try to understand what it's like living life from their point of view, I have failed them. I have turned my back on that person. And so that's my big takeaway and maybe why this movie affects me so deeply. Um, Again, this movie rocks. Again, if you've listened to me talking about it for let's see forty-two minutes now, holy cow! You must have liked it as well. Maybe uh, please feel free to share your own theories about this movie with me on our Instagram, Last of the Moon Pod. Thank you very much for listening. Leave us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps out a lot, and we will see you back next week with our regularly scheduled Three Boys in a Room podcast. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Love you very much. Good night.